Hi, this is Jordan. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I specialize in the gaming industry and today I am your host. So welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tobias Holmgren, Peter Stahl, Joachim Hoagland, and Matthias Hogval to discuss how we create high-performing teams within gaming. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some small introductions. Uh, Peter, do you want to kick us off? All right. Well, hello. Uh, nice to meet you all. Uh, I'm Peter. I am a CEO of Nag Studios, a two-year-old startup here in Stockholm, uh, Sweden. And um, yeah, we're just getting building. We're 12 people and uh, old DICE spin-offs, to keep it short, uh, building big ambitions, as always. Perfect. Thank you for that. Tobias? Yeah, Tobias Holmgren. I'm VP of UX at Gloot. Gloot, we are a esports company building an esports platform. Basically, yeah, we are around a hundred people sitting in Stockholm. Excellent, thank you for that, uh, Matthias. Yeah, so I'm Matthias. I've been doing games for 21 years now. Um, love every day like it's fucking Christmas, and I am the master artist at uh, 10 Chambers, making GTFO and some other stuff. And last but not least, Joachim. All right, so uh, Joachim Höglund, um, the head of studio for Funrock and Prey Studios, and um, been in the industry for 10 years or so, but we've been with Funrock for the last uh, six, seven years. Previous laws are Boca and um, originally from a tech uh, background uh, like servers and uh, networks and uh, these kind of things but I mean gaming is obviously a lot more fun so that's where we're at right now. Perfect. Uh, now we've established a context to everyone. Let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or statement on creating high performance teams within gaming. Uh, as usual, I'll walk around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have an opportunity to give your take on the situation and the question at hand. Um, so let's start with Joachim. Can we have your question, please? All right, so uh, my question is uh, what a high-performing team uh, is and what's the big deal with this thing, basically? What are we even talking about when we talk about high-performance teams, basically? Perfect. Um, Tobias, do you want to give your take first and foremost? Uh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, it can be many different things, but as I see a high-performing team, there is a team that have very clear goals tied to the team, but also tied to the organization. It's a very aligned team. Um, there is very defined roles and responsibilities, basically, so they can work with very little overhead. Um, very good at communicating and, yeah, manage their own work and deadlines based on the priorities on hand, basically. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Matthias? Yeah, so a high-performance team, um, for me, what works 
best. Uh, probably a lot what Tobias said, but also if you got people that can wear more than one hat, it's always really useful. Um, and if you've done products before, you kind of know how they operate and work. It's also, it's a nice feature. You don't always have that. Um, I'll reflect on like what we've done on, on 10 chambers. I mean, it's basically 10 buddies that kind of worked on and off for over uh, 20 years. So that makes us really good at what we do because we're very focused and we know our strengths and, and, and uh, weaknesses. Um, I, I'd say that kind of goes a little bit with insight too. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Uh, Peter, what's your take? Then I will go philosophical, I guess, um, because uh, what I'm thinking is that I'm a, I'm a big fan. I read all the books. I, I'm a fan of this, this discussion topic. Um, I am a fan of the Navy SEAL approach uh, where they have two axes, um, where they talk about uh, trust and they talk about performance, right? And uh, many times, uh, so there's an elite squad within Navy SEALs uh, and a group there in, wi in which they take in more on the trust dimension, more so than on performance. So they always pr prioritize trust. So to me, it usually boils down to, uh, you know, it's a soft value and it's harder to measure, but how do you build trust? Because uh, if they trust each other, you have each other's backs and, and so forth, that's... Um, that's the way to build a proper team. Uh, of course, you have to have the skill and performance. Uh, you have to have competence, but uh, I do believe that it is secondary. Okay, Joachim, what are your thoughts after receiving those uh, answers back to that question? Uh, great answers, answers, of course, and it's great to have a bit uh, different angles on it, I think because uh, it really is a big question uh, that could take up, uh, I mean, a lot of podcasts, a lot of discussion. And uh, I really love the trust part uh, because that's something that is really, really important, I think, as well. And that's something we focus a lot on in uh, FunRock. And we, uh, you can see that if people trust each other, everything goes faster because you can directly say exactly what you think, what you mean, what you would like to say. You don't have to kind of take some kind of uh, way around what you really want to get at because you're afraid that people will get hurt or or sad or anything. But if you have trust and you know that everyone uh, is on the same page and have the same goals, it's just so much more efficient. And you can be yourself, which is also really important because you can't have a lot of overhead of trying to think, how should I say this? How should I behave in this situation? You should focus on the, the task, basically, on the, the project where you want to go. You shouldn't uh, waste any energy on, on thinking about how you should do things. You should just go for it, basically. And trust is a key factor in that. Uh, it just makes everything so much simpler, I would say. Um, and I think also that... Um, in a high-performing team, you can take a lot of decisions on your own. You have, uh, it was mentioned before as well, you have very little overhead. And uh, that's an important key factor as well. You have to be able to move quickly. Um, you have to be able to uh, um, have a very strong team culture where you are transparent and positive. Um, and you can handle conflict 
in a constructing constructive way because th this is very important as well for us because for example you, if you sit in game design dis discussions you disagree a lot basically because or it depends on what you mean with disagree i guess but uh, um but if you can do that in a constructive way it means that five minutes later you will be in a place that's much better than you were in five minutes before after this uh, uh, after you have had the the conflict, basically, so you reach a higher ground by getting out of this uh, conflict in a constructive way, which is uh, very efficient as well. I think that's what we've seen. Okay, brilliant. Um, so just going back to what you, you mentioned there regarding conflict and overcoming that conflict um, to to keep obviously a high performing team. There are going to be conflicts because people have strong opinions a lot of the time. Um, so what would you say your methods are for overcoming that conflict? Um, and I will come back to you, Orkin, but I'm going to go firstly to Peter. To handle conflict? Yeah, and overcoming that conflict so you can keep that high performance team instead of conflict, you know, becoming yeah. a factor of getting in the way. I usually, nowadays, I actually force uh, informal leaders or, or formal leaders uh, in those roles to read one book because, I, as I mentioned, I, I've read them all. Uh, and the one that sticks closest to my experience when it comes to conflict, when it comes to team building, when it comes to, you know, building the best stuff long term, uh, there's one book which is called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And uh, number two is really handling conflict, being able to have creative conflict. And the step number three of that, not to go deep on the book, but uh, is to uh, commit to someone else's idea, basically. Uh, it's very uh, summarized. But um, to do that, you have to have, which is the first step, trust. And I even say that, how do you build trust? Because everyone says, yeah, you got to have trust. Oh, right. Yeah, cool. So how do we buy trust? How do we implement trust? Where is trust? I think it's so important to think about uh, one important aspect, which is, and it must sound the most, um, you know, softest of values, but vulnerability. Uh, there's so many hype words out there. There's psychologically safe and all of that, but I would go to vulnerability as one of the key uh, key points there. If I show that I'm vulnerable, saying that, oh, I've made so many mistakes, oh, I made, I, I screwed that up, you know. It disarms the situation completely, and that's the main tool that I usually use, uh, if that makes sense. And after doing that, you see the whole room disarming, and then you can start talking for real. Excellent. Um, Tobias, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Well, one thing that comes to mind, like when it comes to conflict, especially now during this past uh, very special year we had with Corona is that many conflict that we see like happens because of the, the forum which we communicate in. So like a Slack conversation can go on for hours and hours, but when you just see it and get everyone into a room, then it's solved in minutes. So instead of people just being pissed for a very long time, if they just talk to each other, they will quite fast figure out that they just want the same thing. They just misunderstand each other in the form or the text, basically. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Matthias, any thoughts on that? Um, 
conflict. Um, I had a really good answer and I got lost by kitten picture. Sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, no, I think I do agree that this year with Corona, having chats over internet has not really been a, a great savior of, of solving conflict where a message can be left for you know minutes or hours sometimes and it might fester. Uh, whereas even a video chat like this one is better or meeting in person is always like the best way to do it. Um, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm out of words on that one. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, Joachim, do you have any thoughts, last but not least? Uh, yeah, I mean, these uh, kind of topics uh, are really close to my heart. And um, when it comes to conflict, what we've seen is working really well is that obviously you have to be quite humble because you need to be able to listen to what someone else says. And the only way that you will be able to kind of get out of a situation is that if not the only way you can kind of just leave it, but to move it forward instead of kind of not moving it uh, at all is to uh, be able to discuss around the subject at hand. So you have to be a bit skilled in that area. You have to be able to tell people why you say the things you do, why you reason as you do, why you think you should do things in a certain way. And then the other person can take that information. And if they are humble and uh, trust you, then they will build on that and say, okay, maybe this thing that you said, it will have this effect. That's not really desirable. But if we're doing this way instead, this will happen. And if both parties can act like that and that they are not, they don't really care who comes up with the solution or whose idea will be moved forward, then uh, this is a very simple uh, thing, really. Uh, so I think it comes down a lot to um, Anspråksløs, uh, there word for it, uh, I know for sure. Um, prestigeless, yes, there we go. If this is, um, uh, if you're prestigeless, then uh, it becomes uh, very easy to discuss and solve conflict in this sense. Okay, brilliant. Sorry for going a little off script with that question, but I thought it was an interesting kind of you know, side note there. So I wanted to ask that one. Um, okay, on to the next question then. Uh, Tobias, do you want to pose your question? Yeah, sure. So working with, had the privilege to work with a lot of high performance teams. One question that comes up every now and then is how do you continuously motivate a high performing team? Okay, Matthias, should we go to you first for that one? Yeah, so in the, area where I kind of operate, it's always the next game is going to be bigger and looking better and be more thought out than the last one. Um, and I think most people around me in my space operate and are really driven by that. Like the vision of the game is going to be even bigger. It's going to sell more copies. It's going to be, uh, we're going to fix what we didn't do last time around. Um, I think that that's a really motivating thing for at least like the creators the designers and artists and um yeah that that's usually what you know gets people going is let's do it properly this time uh yeah no it, that that is uh yeah that's me okay excellent 
Um, you okay? It's not always easy to find that unmute button, but I managed. So, uh, I mean, there's uh, plenty of ways to motivate uh, people, I think, and uh, you can do it by giving them more money or you can uh, uh, give them a bunch of benefits, let them work uh, from home, whatever uh, yeah, you can give them. But when it comes to motivators, I think intrinsic uh, motivators are the most impactful, no matter the team, if it's a high performance team or not. And uh, it could be different things even then. But I think the most important part is to tailor the motivations if possible to the individuals because we all have different things that motivates us so it's if it's possible to get to know the team members really well to understand what their motivate motivations are the strongest things that motivate them and be able to give them those specific things that uh, would be really good if it's possible but it also requires a lot more work from from the management or or the team lead or whoever will will uh, be in charge of this basically but uh, having one-on-ones getting to know the people and then giving them what really motivates them uh, would be very beneficial i think excellent peter what are your thoughts on that one yeah i think it's a great question and i think you're on to on to the route there you um <clears throat> i think i mean autonomy uh, definitely i i would disagree with the money uh sure it, it can motivate some but i i'd argue that it would mot motivate the wrong people uh and i think i think it comes down to recruiting a lot right so uh, if you talk about the management you know overhead that needs to be done in order for this to work or, or to keep that high performance is that you got to do your homework when it comes to recruitment so when you recruit someone think about that person's fit not only skill but you know i usually talk about when we recruit to say that what's your heart's vector you know where are you heading in your heart uh because that is just going to dictate uh how we're going to work together and actually first of all if we're going to work together and if it's not made to be it's not made to be that's all good it's a win-win you know kind of for for us and the world um so i think uh uh, recruitment is really important and I would agree with you saying that keeping your ear to the ground knowing that I do know that that person wants to go with that vector you know that direction so clear the path uh, I agree uh, make sure that there's room to move uh, uh, I don't know if you know this uh, the principle the Peter principle which is plaguing our industry. It's got a terrible name, first of all, um, but uh, I don't know if you've heard it, but people are promoted to their highest level of incompetence. I don't know if you've heard that one before. I, I hate the name, but uh, it, it happens and it's a plague for our industry in the way that um, make sure that, for example, people want to be managers if you're going to promote them in that direction. You know, that's an example of make sure you figure out where they're going, where they're heading. Do you want to go in the same way, in the same direction, first of all? Uh, but when you assemble the teams for them to keep being high performed, make sure they have room, right, uh, to grow, to um, uh, to do other things. Yeah, I, I, I might be echoing you guys here, but um, I think that's the way. Excellent. No, I think that's a, a brilliant point. Tobias, have you got any further thoughts after hearing those brilliant answers? Uh, yeah, it was really good answers and I can only agree that it almost always boils down to the individuals. Um, and also like many of the teams that I work with that were very high performing was 
back in the day when I was in gaming companies and you have small prototyping teams, they got very stitched together and they could maneuver very quickly. But as the teams grows, the, yeah, the purpose of that team don't really exist anymore. And then it becomes very important to look for every individual. And also if they have been very, very good at building this team, they also become ambassadors for building more high performing teams. So yeah, you just have to look for, uh, look after them basically. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that. So um, just building on that ever so slightly and what your queen mentioned and Peter built on as well, would you say the best way to motivate um, members of your team is to get to know them, their desires and what they're looking to accomplish in their career? And if you don't do that, can you ever really build that high performance team? Does anyone have any thoughts on that one, Peter? Yeah, I think that's spot on what you just said there. Can you? I, I'm not sure you can. Because that's that's the work. Uh, again, me and you came fighting for that. <laughs> that's the work. Uh, you got to put it, put that work in. That's what you need to spend your, your um, majority time as a manager and a leader. Brilliant. I feel like I could be a podcast uh, podcast contributor with, with that kind of question, to be honest. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> okay, perfect. So uh, changing direction ever so slightly, slightly, sorry. Peter, can we have your question next, please? Sure. I um, A question that popped into my head, you know, around this topic was that um, I've always been a fan of the expression... Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, if you've heard that before. Uh, our industry, being the games industry, you know, sometimes makes me wonder though, and I've, I've done a journey of uh, worked at DICE, uh, I, I left EA and DICE to go uh, scale startup, uh, and now doing my own startup, you know, inv investments and everything around that, whatever that, you know, entails, and along the journey, I've kept asking, you know, that question really. Uh, does culture really eat strategy for breakfast? Because you, you do need business as well. You do need to make money for people to, to, um, yeah, to be able to work with games, right? So does culture eat uh, strategy for business really? Brilliant, thank you for that. Um, Tobias, how about we jump to you first? Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting question, but like strategy, like I think many people want really to have some type of strategy. They want to have alignment. They want to know where you are going with something. So I don't really agree with that statement, but yeah, it goes hand in hand, right? Because of course, culture is extremely important to building a successful company, but Without a strategy, it uh, yeah, you cause a lot of other problems basically. Okay, um, Matthias, how about you next? Uh, could you repeat the question? Does culture really eat strategy for breakfast? Uh, does culture eat strategy for breakfast? Um, if you want, we can circle back to you and I can go to your queen first. Yeah, do so. 
Yeah, sorry to put you on the spot, you all green, but uh, do you want to jump in with an answer for us? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when I first heard the question, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to figure out the different kind of parts of it. What does it really mean? And uh, for, with culture, I, I assume that it is um, something that takes care of people. And if that is, does that cause the business to fail because it's so costly or if it's so uh, requires so much resources and focus to do that. I, I have an example, if I've understood this correctly, but there's a there's a company called Cianit uh, uh, and it's a, an IT company in, in Gothenburg and they are, they when they initially started, they started doing like, okay, we're going to focus on the people 100% initially. And it's hard when you build a product, like uh, if you build a, a game, you can't really do that because you have to have money before you get any money. But in a consultancy company, you could do this. You could build the, the have like spend a lot of the money you get back into the culture, into the people. And uh, they have built an amazing company. It's taken them probably 10 years or so. But they have an amazing culture and they spend a lot, have spent a lot of resources on the people. And it's super, super solid, this, this company. Um, when it comes to people stay a long time, it's easy to hire the right people. They have, um, so this part they have a lot. And now they can focus on making money, basically. Um, so I, I don't think it's a problem. I don't think culture eats strategy for breakfast. But maybe uh, it depends on what my understanding of the question is. But I think they really go hand in hand if you're in it for the long run. If you go quick and if you're just shooting for a year, maybe two, then uh, maybe, yeah. Okay, uh, Matthias, I'm going to circle back around to you. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I worked at various places some, and... I think I'll, I'll take 10 Chambers as an example where we started out with like 10 guys where there's already a set culture from like our friendships previously and the kind of games we enjoy and like. Um, we we spend a, a okay amount of money on keeping people happy, but I think our culture has grown also from the people that like our games and, and want to develop that kind of games that they have kind of the same mindset. So it, a lot of it comes for, for free, if that makes sense. Uh, they're drawn into that space. Uh, most of them have have kind of the same hobbies, uh, whether it's drinking beer or just enjoying shooters. Um, whereas I worked at bigger places, and they throw money at it, and they call it a team, but it's not really a team. It's just you know, stock owners and not stock owners. Um, I mean, it takes a long time to build a culture, and goes very quickly to fuck it up too. Uh, you can throw all the money in the world on a, on a successful business and, and a successful con uh, culture, but if, if it starts failing and going in the wrong direction, it goes pretty fucking fast downhill. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a fine balance. I mean, keeping the culture and, you know, the, the leadership are usually the ones setting the kind of the drumming beat for that culture uh, within their teams or the, the people around them. I mean, uh, junior staff or, or mid-range, they'll, they'll get affected by it. So, yeah, no. It's uh, it's always an adventure building a culture, a little mini city in one way. Excellent, Peter. What are your thoughts after hearing uh, slightly divided room? I reckon on on that one. 
Yeah, that might, might have been my bad, going with a very <clears throat> a high level type of question, spinning off the, the, the old quote. Um, I, I find it interesting because I've been asking so many, you know, game dev at, at all different levels, you know, do you, what comes first, you know, what comes first, does the business and the, the, the super clear, that is the exact market, be it red or blue ocean, but that, that's exactly where we're going. Uh, so let's just get a team, uh, you know, does anyone have a team? Uh, you know, let's put it together because we have, and that can work. It, it seems that can work. And then you talk to that team or that crew, uh, you know, uh, three years down the line. Well, they might not be answering because they don't exist anymore. So culture might be more of the longevity part of that. But it's kind of a nice question now where, because building a culture, like you say, Matthias, um, you need to start very early, right? And you need to start building that from ground up. So you have to start with that as well. Uh, so I found it very funny. What comes first? When do you start with what? Uh, you know, it's just um, uh, a really tricky line to walk and, you know, tricky thing to juggle. Brilliant. Thank you for that. I find that like a really interesting uh, question myself. Um, so thank you for that, Peter. It was great to get everyone's thoughts on that one. Um, so, uh, Matthias, I know it's slightly different here because this isn't the question that you've posed yourself. Um, but can you read out the final question for us? Yeah. Are high performance teams needed? So I'm going to go to your queen first with that one. Going to pick on you there. Well, thanks. So I, I appreciate going first because uh, then, uh, I mean, whatever you say, it's new. So it's uh, great. I think it's an excellent question because or my, my quick answer is uh, no uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, of course it depends you should always use the right tool for the task at hand and if you're building uh, uh, something that is quite easy a lot of people can do that goes quick to build I mean why do you invest uh, three times the money to get a high performing team when you can do it with a normal team if that's the alternative so to speak so it really depends on what you want to do if you want to build a world-class game that will be on the top charts you probably need a high performance team so then the answer is yes but if you are uh, prototyping uh, hyper casuals you probably don't need a high performing team in that sense you just need people that are quite good with the uh, uh, and fast at pro prototyping, basically. So uh, yeah, I, I, you should always look at the goal. Use the right tool for uh, for the task at hand, and, and a team is a tool in a sense. Um, so uh, I think check the requirements and and follow them, basically. Okay, um, Tobias, what are your thoughts on that one? Uh, I can basically agree. It's a time and place for everything. Um, and it goes back to culture as well, right? Because if you have a high performance team, then you have a very good culture in that team. And that as uh, everything that has with culture, it takes time and money to build it. And as the company at Yilut, as I am now, we are like switching focuses quite quickly and we have to adapt very quickly and may not always have the time to spend to build up these high performing teams. So, they are not, I don't see that they are needed, but it's always nice to have that as a long-term goal because that's of course the most cost-effective in the long run to have multiple 
uh, high-performing teams. Okay, Matthias, uh, how about we switch to you for, for your answer on that one? Yeah, um, I agree with what uh, Joachim said there. It's kind of like what, what you're doing. Um, is it going to be super casual or is it going to be super hardcore? Um, most places I worked at that are doing something super unique or big or whatever, there will be a high performance team doing the initial game development states, uh, like always, uh, design, art, setting the barrier, figuring out new things, uh, drawing from you know years of experience to try to like up the ante on things. Without those, I think most studios would probably not exist if they didn't, don't have like a hardcore high performance team at the core of it like the little pre-production engine that will kind of lead the production through its uh, up and downs. Um, so yeah I, yeah, I think that totally depends on what you're building. Uh, where I'm at, if we didn't have that, we'd be fucked. Okay, excellent. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, if they're needed, uh, I yeah, maybe. It depends. I think the answer there, like everyone has touched on, it depends. But I kind of like think about the, the people in the teams. Uh, I bet you that they want to be a part of a high performing team. And whose job is it to make it high performant? Is it their job? So this is me coming from keep always keeping an eye on management. I usually say that things, yep, I'll use nicer words than I usually I say, things usually go wrong in middle management and top management secondary um, in the sense that uh, there's a skill to being, you know, top management, but there's definitely a skill being middle management, uh, you know, working many different sides. And I think uh, it is in majority, uh, their responsibility to work with teams to become more performant, high, mid, you know, it doesn't matter, to become performant, to work well, to like where they are and what they do. So how do you do that? that I, I, I don't want to twist the question around, but I do think that that would be a much more interesting perspective to look at it. Because uh, would I want, you know, managers in general, overall in the industry to improve vastly? Uh, yes. Okay, brilliant. So just picking up on a couple of points, which I got from pretty much everyone then. Um, so would your opinions be that high performance teams are only really needed depending on what the actual vision is? Is, is that what is being kind of brought to our attention here? Um, Matthias, have you got any further thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's, it's totally pending on what you're doing. Um... And to say high performance teams, I mean generally like the best coders, the best artists, the best designers, not managers. Um, they're they're usually not in that team. Uh, some some will be or producer, but uh, yeah, totally depends on what you're doing. Okay, cool. Um, any any further thoughts on the question that I just posed ever so slightly? Um, Tobias? No, no, not really. No, nothing for me. 
Right, okay, no problem. Um, so, Peter, you actually had a second question that you sent over to me. I, I think it is maybe slightly away from high-performing teams, but all, all the contributors did have that question, and we do have a little bit of time. So um, do you want to pose that question for the group as well, and we'll get opinions on that one? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, we're leaving the domain for sure, uh, but uh, that was the first one that I answered to you, Jordan, when when you asked me. And uh, I believe it was, uh, what's the role, uh, you know, the future role of game uh, streamers in our industry? Yeah, perfect. So like I say, it's a little bit away from previous questions that we've had, but um, it's a really interesting question, I think. So I think, uh, Tobias, do you want to go first with that? Seeing as obviously you work with Geely, um, I think you'd have a great perspective on that one. Uh, well, yeah, it all depends on what you see. It's the, the current one and so on. It depends on how you see it. But uh, extremers are, if they not are, they are becoming like, the influencers of gamers, uh, right, uh, of the gaming industry, and they are becoming more and more important to sell your game or your service. And something as we are building a platform, we also seen that having a good collaboration with streamers is like thousand times better than any tutorial. Like having a streamer using your platform and talking about it, it adds so much credibility and it's, yeah, people get what you are building so much faster. So looking at our marketing, we have seen that building relationship with streamers just becomes more and more important. Totally planted that question well for you to be asked, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the question was made for you really there. Um, Joaquin, to you next. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely interesting and uh, there are things happening in the industry that changes a lot of things and uh, streamers can definitely affect a game in a huge manner. I mean, games that would never see the light of day almost or they would no one would know about them because of streamers, they can be known around the whole world nowadays. So it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, thing. Uh, I don't have a lot to add around this subject. Uh, I'm not that close to the esports or streaming, but I think one thing that could be very interesting is uh, building games that are streaming, uh, streamer friendly, so to speak. Take this aspect into account. So nowadays, when you decide what game to build, you think about the marketability and uh, oh, what's the CPI going to be like, and these kind of things. And uh, obviously, you can reduce your marketing costs a lot if you have a game that streamers are very interested in or that will, is very, they're very suitable for a streamer audience, basically. So it could be something to, to keep in mind in that regard uh, to kind of get your marketing budget to uh, reach a bit further. Excellent. Uh, Matthias, any other thoughts on that topic at all? Uh, I think personally, I'll love the fact that we have streamers now that will pick up an indie game and make that happen for the developers and the people around it i mean most companies don't have the marketing budget or like they're literally hoping that a good pewdiepie would show up and play their game and that could make the game if it's good i mean literally um so no no additional thoughts on that one i just 
think that uh, they're they're in one way are the future for for commercial um, and marketing value. Like if you get that that game into a, to a good streamer or a YouTuber, uh, your game will be set if it's good. So it's like a lottery ticket if PewDiePie picks your game up for indies. Like you're done. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Peter, do you have any further thoughts that you want to add to that one? Uh, I do not have a prepared answer for this one. I was most cu curious to hear other game developers and how they see it. Uh, I mean, we obviously uh, have focus in the area. Uh, so I uh, I can say that I do believe that the streamers is the way, you know, the, the main road to market really for game developers these days. And it's going to become bigger and bigger. I mean, to be as you know this uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was just curious to hear what other others thought on it. Okay, brilliant. Uh, thank you for all your questions and answers, guys. I do really appreciate that. I think it's been a, a really insightful podcast. So we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our contributors, Matthias, Peter, Joaquim and Tobias, for providing your insight into the topic. And thanks everyone else for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at jordan.lounder.evolution-nordics.com. And uh, we will see you all next time.